Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be moving to the left with medical affairs. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined by Colin Oliver and Suma Ramadas in another one of our medical affairs series. This one is moving to the left, moving medical affairs earlier in development. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere that you get this podcast. Medical Affairs Moving to the Left, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Colin Oliver, Suma Ramadas, welcome back to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. We're talking today about moving to the left with medical affairs. This is the next in our medical affairs series. What does moving to the left mean at all? I'll go ahead and start, and I'm sure Colin will have a few things to add to this. But essentially what we're saying when we say moving to the left is talking about how medical affairs organizations need to be involved earlier and earlier in the development life cycle. In the past, medical affairs has really been a support group, and we've talked about this on other podcasts. But as we know now, they need to play a more strategic and value-based role within the organization. And in order to do that, having earlier and earlier involvement, both with their clinical counterparts, as well as considering what commercial outcomes may happen in the future, really allows medical affairs to bring in that value-based add to the organization. So earlier, earlier is to the left as in I'm looking at a timeline and earlier dates are on the left. Why do I want to be earlier? Doesn't that just add cost? I'm playing devil's advocate, Colin. Why would we want to move medical affairs earlier to the left? Historically, the way development has worked is a clinical development organization will take a drug that has cleared preclinical toxicology and preclinical efficacy studies and move it into humans, go through the traditional phases of development, and then get a regulatory approval and then pass off to commercials for commercialization. With the expanding number of drugs that have entered the market, most diseases are now becoming crowded. And with the move toward more personalized or more specialized therapeutic approaches and more orphan or rare diseases, the need to incorporate practical or real-world components or insights into the development timeline earlier is essential. Regulatory approval is no longer an acceptable milestone to drive commercial success, and it needs to be captured as early as even phase one in the development process to, one, accelerate development so that you can lower your costs over time because development is arguably the most expensive part of an asset development and commercialization timeframe, but also to make those studies more practical and applicable for adoption into the general marketplace upon approval. And it's medical affairs that drives that conversation. I think that if we think about somebody that's working in early stage product, they think, well, I'm in science already. Why do I need medical affairs? Or you're telling me that I already need to do something I already know about. But it sounds like you're talking about something a little bit different when you bring in something like real world evidence. When we look, and if you're a smaller company, a science-based company, how do you know that you haven't already done it? Sounds like what I do already, but that real world evidence piece may be a little bit different. What's the difference? I think we have to distinguish between real world evidence and real world experience. And both of those things are very, very important. Recognizing, as Colin mentioned, the earlier the better, recognizing that medical affairs has a pulse on all of the medical stakeholders early because they have to engage them, understanding what's going to sit well or what's going to be adopted within the marketplace becomes a very important discussion early on because, as Colin mentioned, 
approval is no longer the hallmark of success. You have to think about adoption. You have to think about reimbursement. And globally speaking, you have several other factors you need to consider. How one disease is viewed in, let's say, the U.S. may be very different than how it's viewed in Japan, which is very different than it's viewed somewhere in Europe. So understanding all of those nuances and ensuring that you have real-world utility of these specific either disease areas or potential therapies is just as important. Real-world evidence has become a buzzword, and yes, it's important, but it's a little bit further down the line. But you need to keep that real-world mentality all the way through. That makes sense to me. And one of the things that I think about in terms of how I've traditionally understood medical affairs, or at least understood from you, Suma, (laughs) over several podcasts, is that medical affairs is usually a scientific piece that's brought in when it's later in development. But it sounds like, at this point earlier in development, we're talking more about the commercial aspects and medical affairs becomes more of the affairs than the medical. Am I reading too much into it? It's a little of both. So you think about early development, what are the aspects to make a drug successful in order to move it through? You have to enroll studies with patients and engage with sites and physicians and principal investigators in order to get them to enroll patients. And it's the engagement with investigators and understanding their biases and their perceptions that might drive their willingness to enroll that medical affairs can contribute to from the medical standpoint. That's not even the commercial or affairs standpoint. Publishing data, presenting data at Congresses, all of those activities are medical affairs activities, and all of those things happen with phase one, phase two studies. It's all aspects of the development process that medical affairs can and should contribute to. Do you mind if we play a game? We're a small company, and we have a new product, SYNH1, And SYNH1 is a product that's indicated for rheumatoid arthritis and will ideally take the place of market leaders. Where does medical affairs come in there? How do we think about this if we're a small company in this position with SYNH1 that we would need to think about with medical affairs? Anything different from what we think as scientists who came in and started the company? Yeah, absolutely. You can start with simple protocol design. Typically in this space, you have a well-established development pathway. Protocols are designed based on the historical design of protocols for competitor products in the space, and it's a path that's well-worn. Yeah, it's safe. It's the least likely to raise eyebrows and have adequate powering to do what we want to find out. Right. If you're a young company or a new company and into an established marketplace like rheumatoid arthritis that has established drugs that have been on the market for a long time, their safety profile is known, they're very efficacious. If you follow the well-traveled path to approval, what you get is an approvable drug that has not established its value in the marketplace. And even in the development process, as you're running those studies, if I'm a physician, a clinical trialist, or I'm a patient with rheumatoid arthritis, what value does my participation in your clinical trial bring to me if I can get a drug that's perfectly effective, that I know is safe, and is not, in my mind, a gamble? What medical affairs can do is understand those perceptions, those biases, those barriers to even enrollment in trials, and use those to inform novel trial design, novel endpoints, better assessment schedules that are more amenable to a patient's work-life balance and their quality of life, endpoints that are more relevant to the patient. The well-traveled path is focused on clinical efficacy and safety and the benefit-risk profile. It's focused on regulatory approvable endpoints, but it's not focused on what's meaningful to patients necessarily. More often than not, it's not at all. 
And so that's where medical affairs can really bring value to every stage of the development process and particularly can differentiate for a newcomer in a crowded marketplace. I know I've seen this in different due diligence activities that we've done for various companies where what is in the anticipated label is something that no payer cares about. It's insufficient clinical efficacy for a physician to care about. And it's solving a problem that the patient doesn't really have. So all those things can be bad. I've seen each of those. So I can perceive that you don't want to get at the end of the game after having spent your money not on just phase one, but phase two and phase three clinical trials and approval. And here we are. And the drug isn't paid for, isn't prescribed and isn't used, even if it is prescribed. That all seems pretty bad. Am I putting too stark a picture on it or is that pretty much it? That's exactly it, actually. And I just wanted to add one more thing, which I think you touched upon, Jeff, to what Colin said. It's exactly that. It's not just bringing the patient voice in, as Colin mentioned, but it's really thinking across the stakeholder continuum and ensuring that there's a very direct line from what you're doing early in development all the way through to post-commercialization. So you're right. The payer may or may not care about what's in the endpoint or what they're doing as long as you only focus on regulatory approval, you're not going to be able to have the right kind of success in the way that you are defining it. However, if you think about all of these perceptions, as Colin mentioned early on, you're also going to be able to, through the appropriate scientific exchange and engagement, help to change those perceptions and be able to measure them as you move across the development lifecycle to ensure that you have the payers thinking about the disease in the way that you need them to your HVPs are thinking about the disease in the way that you need them to, et cetera, all the way down the stakeholder line. So you've convinced me of the need. We don't want to get with our SYNH1. We don't want to be into rheumatoid arthritis and find out that we shouldn't have been, as an example, measuring just against placebo. We needed to have measured against something else, perhaps even head-to-head, so that we can get efficacy that anybody cares about and that any payer cares about and that any physician cares about or any patient cares about. Wonderful. Who is it that figures this out, makes this decision, and goes down the route. Because I know any of the startups that I've worked with over the years, they have their chief medical officer, and that's kind of it. That's the clinical trial protocol that they've gotten. So what next? Who? I think that's the person. Most medical affairs professionals have accepted that this is their value story in development. And this has been a process that's been ongoing for 10 years at least in the medical affairs world, fighting to get involved fighting to have their voices heard because they recognize the value that they can bring. And frankly, in most companies, even in development, when they turn to medical affairs is when there's a fire that needs to be put out, when the site isn't performing, when a study isn't enrolling, they turn to the medical affairs organization to fix it. And so it's convincing the CMO early on of the value proposition. And it really is about how we as a medical affairs function and community communicate about our value story. And I think if we start to communicate in the way that we're talking about in this podcast, I think it'll start to resonate. I would also add to that, we see many organizations that don't want to make the upfront investment in medical affairs and may have that one or two person team early on. If you get the right type of medical affairs personnel that's really focused, I think you'll be talking about this in a different podcast, but with the right type of skill set to be able to think strategically and down the road and understand the ramifications of everything that's happening very early on, you don't actually need to make a huge investment. It's just the right investment. And having those people, even if it's getting into multiple disease spaces, 
can really bring that impact that we're talking about in this podcast. Well, we'll leave it there then for the other podcasts. Colin Oliver, Suma Ramadas, thanks so much for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at Where consultants, that's what we do.